Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. All right, a couple things. My name first, my name is Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here at Stonebridge. Excited to be able to share with y'all. It's been a little while. Um, since I've been up here, I've sat outside and shake hands with folks, and I realize how many people I don't know because I'm usually downstairs. But so I'm glad to be up here, glad to be with y'all this morning. Couple announcements, well, a re-announcement for those of you who missed it about Christmas Eve. If you could put that slide back up there, our Christmas Eve services. Those are the seats available. So uh, if you haven't registered, just plan accordingly. Uh, with that, and please register as early this week as you can. Uh, that would be helpful for us. Second thing, I want to say uh, thank you to all of you. Last week, we sent that message out that we needed help for the, the folks that were hit by the tornadoes in Kentucky. Again, part of my hometown was hit, and within 24 hours, y'all responded in a way that just blew my mind away. It was crazy. I came with a 6 by 12 trailer expecting that. After the 8 o'clock service, I went and got a truck thinking I could put the trailer, take the trailer back. And then after that service, I realized that I need the truck and the trailer. And I still had stuff left over um, after that. It made for some difficult driving, I will say that, with that U-Haul and the trailer on the back of it. I got pushed more than I pulled, um, for sure. But it was just awesome to see how y'all came together for people that you don't know, who you knew were hurting, uh, and they were so thankful. I got there on Sunday night. I think there were around 70 people there that helped me unload it. All of the stuff that was distributed to people very quickly. Um, we were out working, hang, hanging out with people until uh, we were told to let the professionals do their job and get out of the way for FEMA to come in and clean things up. Um, but I just can't say thank you enough from the people who were there. Uh, from my family who still lives there, and just for me to know that y'all care that much and that y'all are the hands and feet of Jesus when you do things like that. Um, it was humbling. It was all the things, whatever adjective you want to put there. It was just, it was just, it was crazy. We got there from here quicker than towns next door got. I mean, we beat a town from Owensboro, a, a truck from Owensboro. Y'all responded in 24 hours that much. Um, again, I'm thankful and just blown away by your generosity and your kindness. And, uh, but y'all continue to pray for them because it's just, it's just kind of getting started with the cleanup part. Um, but again, thank you so much. Okay, I don't know how to transition. Um, we're going to look, again, our fourth Sunday of Advent. And David's told us for the last three weeks or so um, it, it, what Advent is. It's this time of arrival and it's our job to prepare for the arrival of Jesus. Now, for this morning, I want to shift your perspective just a little bit. As we start thinking about arrival, I don't want you to think a ton about a previous arrival. I want you to think more about a future one. A lot of times we forget that Jesus is coming back. And this season of Advent is a time for preparation for that arrival as well. And so we're going to look through it. Look at it through a couple of lenses or three lenses this morning, what it meant, what it means, and what it will mean for us going forward. And so I'm going to read Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. It says this, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, 
the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So the last three weeks, David's talked to us about God's faithfulness. And he, he keeps his promises. He's talked to us about the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel and might of God, of this Messiah. And this morning, I get to talk to you about knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. That's what we're going to focus in on is in verse 3. And what I've liked about or I've loved about what David's been doing over the last few weeks is he's really get, digging into the history of the time period and the era. I used to be a history teacher. This is one of my favorite things to teach about. I love talking about the Assyrians and their brutality. That's the only way I got the boys to pay attention to what I was saying. So I would give them all the gruesome details. That would hook them in, and they accidentally learned some things just because of that. So... Um, that, that drew me in when David was talking about it before. But I think it's important to understand what it meant through that lens of the people who were hearing it for the first time. These Assyrians are brutal people, and they're intentionally that way. They did stack up skulls outside of cities. They did skin people alive. They did make chairs out of the kings of people that they conquered. And it had one real purpose, and that was to make everyone around them scared. If we are brutal with this city, when we show up at the next one, they may just say, we give, you got it. And that's what the point was. It was psychological warfare. It was terrorism. If we can terrorize these people and make them scared of us, then they won't fight against us. And I think for a lot of the people at the time, that was the easy route, right? It, was, it seemed more comfortable. It seemed a little bit easier. Rather than fight or trust God or fear God in the midst of this, it was probably easier to think about going, you can have the city as long as you don't kill me, rather than trusting what the Lord's saying in, through Isaiah. And I think that idea of, of fear has made its way or made its way throughout Jewish religion. And I think I don't think fear is the right word. The fear we're talking about here is this reverent awe, right? It's not like I'm scared. It's this reverence for God, this awe of God, this recognition of who God is and what I'm not is what we mean by fear. But I think the Jewish people at the time grabbed on to this thing of being scared of God. Just consider it for a minute. God gives 10 laws through Moses. They create all these extra laws around that because they don't want to break the original 10 because they might be scared, because they are scared. That may be justified. God did turn people into pillars of salt. So maybe being scared is justified in some instances. But what I think that they did is this culture of being scared of God made it easier to rely on rules. Rules are easy to follow. If I keep the rules, I don't get the, the thing. I don't get the punishment. I don't get God's wrath. And even we see it with the temple and the Holy of Holies. They would, the high priest would go in once a year. They put a bell on his foot, a rope around his leg, so they could hear if he was moving. And if he didn't, they could drag him out if he was dead because they were going into God's presence. I don't think with fear, I think they were scared. They weren't sure what the next step was, but they weren't sure if they were going to accidentally break a rule and then be punished for it. Because rules are always easier. If you give me a set of rules, I'll probably still break them, but if you give me a set of rules, it's at least I know when I'm breaking them or not. It's an intentional choice. 
Those of you who are rule followers, you love this because you know how to say out of whatever this thing is that's going to punish or cause harm, you know how to avoid it. People like me, we like to step into that place just to see what happens sometimes, but I don't recommend that either. But fear of the Lord isn't about following rules. It's about being in relationship. Fear of God is a place where it's reverent awe. It's like it's enough healthy respect and fear to know that if you wanted to, you could probably do something. But because you love me, you don't. I think about it with my, with my dad. I had a great dad growing up. I have a great dad. He, he, he's awesome. But there was this element of healthy fear. I call it dad strength. Y'all may know what I'm talking about. My dad is this tall, no joke. I still am scared of him a little bit to, like, to try him a little bit. It's healthy fear and respect. I don't think he'll hurt me. I just know not to try it. And that's the thing I, I think that we get to with God. It's this healthy reverence, respect, and awe, and fear of the Lord keeps us from trying things that he, we know he doesn't want us to do. Not because we might get punished, but because he knows what's best for us and because he loves us. And I do believe that part of this fear, or this being scared, I should say, has made its way into how we engage God. Last weekend in Kentucky, after we were moved out, I got to spend a lot of time with people unloading trucks and sorting things and hanging out with people. And I got asked two questions multiple times. The first one was, do you think this was God's plan for us? And the second one was, do you think this was because of where our society, our culture, and our country are right now? And you can disagree with me if you want, but I don't think it's either of those things. I don't think it has anything to do with how we behave that God punishes us. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross. I don't believe that God continues just to punish us for our sin. What I believe is we live in a fallen world and disasters happen and that we get to see the hands and feet of Jesus and what it looks like to follow God with how people around us respond to it. Like y'all responded to it. When we think that God is waiting just to squash us or he has a plan for destruction in our lives, I think it creates a messed up view of who God is. It's hard to, have to say, the same, say this in the same sense. It's hard to say God is love and he caused a tornado to destroy these people. How do you reconcile that? I don't because I don't think he did that. And again, you can, you can disagree with me, but I think it creates this view of God that's not relational but it's about following rules. If I follow the rules, a tornado won't hit my home. That's not true. There's plenty of people who follow the rules whose, tornado, whose homes were hit. If I follow the rules, nothing bad's going to happen to me. If I follow the rules, things will be good. The Pharisees did all of those things. All of those things. They, they were professionals at fasting. They were professionals at keeping the rules. And follow, they, they told, if you read Matthew, you can read all the lists of the things where how great the Pharisees thought they were. Rule following does not mean favor with the Lord. Relationship and a reverence and an awe of God bring favor. And favor doesn't necessarily mean good things for us now. What it means is relationship and good things for us later. 
Even the rabbis wrote about this when they wrote the commentaries on, the, on this. It's called the Talmud. It's this running commentary that's side by side with the Old Testament where the rabbis explain what passages mean. And the rabbis who wrote on Isaiah 11:3, they said this about it. And they're referring to the Messiah. They're saying the man had the knowledge of God the Father, of his mind and will, of the scriptures and things that contained therein, of the law and gospel. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were hid in him, which he communicates to his saints and of the fear of the Lord, and so had a reverence of him, a strict regard to his will, and always did things which pleased him. Those are what the ancient rabbis say about about Isaiah 11.3, and that's what the Messiah will look like. The question I have is, how did they miss him? Because that's still the belief today. See, I think because of being scared, the fact that they were scared of God, that Jesus made them uneasy. Jesus made them get nervous. Jesus comes and starts tearing heads off of grains on the Sabbath. And they're like, wait a second. This guy can't be from God. He's breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus is telling them the Sabbath is to love God and love people. That's the law. You're you're breaking rules and they're scared, I think, of what's going to happen to them. And Jesus comes in relationship in this reverent awe of God and he knows the Father's heart. To know God is to know his heart. To fear God is to submit to his will. And Jesus is the perfect example of this. If we look in Matthew 26, it'll be up on the screen, 36 through 40. This is Jesus in the garden. It says, then Jesus with his disciples, went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell his face, fell face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you, couldn't you men keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here's the big verse, verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He knew the will of God was to go to the cross. He submitted to the will of God in his prayer. He knew God's heart to reconcile us, and that's why the cross was necessary. Fear the Lord was to submit to it. Hebrews 5.7 says that Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane was heard because of his reverent submission. If you read it literally, it says Jesus was heard because of his godly fear. Jesus is a perfect example of what it means to fear God. And so the two handholds this morning are this. The knowledge of God is to know him. The fear of God is to submit to him. To know him, we have to be a disciple. And being a disciple is more than reading passages in the Bible, memorizing them, and coming to church on Sunday. It's more than that. 
Being disciple is knowing God intimately, knowing his heart, and then following it. It's being engaged in a relationship like a father and a son. He calls us, Jesus calls us brother and sister, heir and co-heir. And so we step into that same place with him because the Holy Spirit in us makes us worthy of it. And we get to follow his heart and pursue him. And we become a disciple. And then to submit to his will is to make disciples. We follow him to know him. We make disciples because he says so. That's the will of God. How you make disciples, that's the thing that we talk about doing your deal and finding your Marietta as part of our anchors here at Stonebridge. That's the specifics. That's how you make disciples. The fact that we're all called to make disciples isn't just for pastors, missionaries, and people who you see as super spiritual. It's for all of us, all the time. That is the will of God, and, and to fear him is to submit to it. As I was preparing for this, it was, how do, I was thinking, how do you get up here, you say these words, you, you make all these bold statements and claims about who God is, and then not do this evaluation or this inventory of your own life? And so I was praying and wrestling with the Lord a little bit. I was like, so what is this, like, how does this even play out? I got a job, I've got kids, I've got friends, I've got, I've got to feed people. I've got lots of responsibilities in my life that I can't just say I'm done with that. I'm going to go do this and let everybody starve. It's not what he's asking me to do. The question I ask myself, though, to help prioritize things is, if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would my life look like today? How would my life be different today if I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Because we're not in a and we're not in a place the Pharisees weren't, right? The Pharisees were looking for the coming of Jesus for centuries. They've been expecting it and looking for it. And they're following all the rules and they think they're going to see him and they miss him. We're in the same place. Jesus is coming back. We're looking for him, but are we prepared? And to prepare is to live today like he's coming back tomorrow. It's to cultivate relationship with him. It's to, it's to spend time with him. It's not about checking boxes and following rules. It's not about did you read your Bible seven times this week. It's about being in this intimate relationship where you know him and you know his heart. It's deeper than memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture is great. Don't get me wrong. It's great, but this is deeper than that. One of the things I've been wrestling with for a while is, is this idea of, God, give me a spark to just, so I catch on fire. So I just burn for the Lord. And what I realized that he's saying to me, is like, I gave you the spark, that's the Holy Spirit. You're not flammable. And that's what... I think is, is the thing for us this morning. Being prepared and being a disciple is becoming flammable. So filled with the oil of heaven and the Holy Spirit that the spark just takes that and we just burn. And then we make disciples just because of how we live, not because we have a calling. We go to work to make money to, to, to feed our families. And while we're there, we're making disciples either out of our employees or our employer. 
We're making disciples in our home through our children. Not disciples of ourselves, but disciples of Jesus. We're making disciples wherever we go just because we're on fire for Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't need a missionary to do that. So we have to cultivate this relationship. We have to be a disciple. We have to be flammable. The spark's there. The reason I, was, I haven't been lit is because I'm not oily. I'm not flammable. Spending time with him does that. So this morning, I want to leave you with this. And I don't want you to feel challenged. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to hopefully feel inspired to spend time with Jesus this morning. But not in a sense of checking the box. I want to encourage you this morning to ask yourself a question. Two questions. You know the first one. How would your life be different today if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? And the second one, why do you worship? Why do you pray? Why do you read? Why do you come to church? I went through a season of life where the, the why answer to that was because it made me feel good. And it was about me. I want to challenge you over this next couple of weeks of Christmas. Ask the Lord, what's your motivation whenever you spend time with him? I told the 8 o'clock service for a long time that I've been working with students. Every time I read the scripture, it was about pulling something out so I can give it to them. It never got to my heart because it was going to my head, to my mouth. And those of you that know me, I use this a lot. I, I just all over the kids in, in our youth ministry. And what God's revealed to me, because it wasn't getting to my heart, that's the flammable piece. So ask the Lord. Have the conversation. Search me, God. Find any offensive way in me. What's my motivation? Why am I doing the things? Or it may be, why am I not doing the things? Why am I not praying? Why am I not worshiping? Why am I not following? What, what's the reason? I tell our kids almost every week, following Jesus is not easy, but it is best. And so I want to encourage you in the next few minutes. I want to ask Bo to come back up. He's going to close up with a song. I want to encourage you. I don't know if this is a response message. I don't know what it is, honestly. But I want to encourage you to ask the Lord, why are you doing the things? Why are you here? Why are you engaging him? Why are you breeding praise? Why are you doing those things? And just ask him and wrestle with him. If you need to come forward and kneel here and pray and have that conversation with him, do that. If you need someone to intervene on your behalf, we'll have ministry teams up here that will pray with you about that as well or anything else that's going on in your life. I want to encourage you this year, prepare for the second coming of Jesus. Celebrate the previous one for sure. Have fun. Celebrate that. But let's look forward to the second one coming so that we don't miss them. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you want relationship. We're thankful that you're, you're a God that seeks us, that you made us for relationship, God. And so we just pray if there's anything selfish about our time we spend with you, that you remove that, that you break that off of us. And we would spend time with you out of love out of reverence, out of this fear of the Lord, this holy reverence of who you are and who we're not. So God, I pray that you'll speak to us, that we'll desire more of you daily, and we'll submit to making disciples for you. 
It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.